Lord, we thank you for the great privilege it is to open up your word together. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh upon us, upon the church. Give us boldness, Lord, to keep proclaiming the gospel and to keep serving the body of Christ. Pray that you would speak through me this morning, Lord, and open up our eyes and ears uh, to hear and see what it is you have to say. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been asked to do something that scared you a little bit? Perhaps it was pursuing something that seemed outside your capabilities or outside your comfort zone. Perhaps it was a new educational opportunity, a new job. You know, I think about on Father's Day, maybe some of you fathers can remember becoming a father for the first time and the trepidation that you feel, oh my goodness, I'm responsible for this beings, not only for their survival, but I actually have to like teach them and disciple them. Oh my goodness. You know, the trepidation that you feel for these things, it's a holy responsibility. You know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, holy responsibilities uh, as I'm, I'm going to be ordained this coming Saturday by the Evangelical Covenant Church. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And it might be uh, kind of curious to you because actually four years ago, I was installed as the pastor of our church on Father's Day weekend. So this is actually my four-year anniversary of being the pastor here. Can you believe that? Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but I think there's, you know, different denominations do this differently, but there's a reason the covenant makes a gap between your installation and your ordination. Because it gives you kind of, kind of some time to try this on. You know, how does this, how does this feel? Is this, is this a good fit for you and the church? And, and to kind of give you time to process, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to take on this holy responsibility? You know, I kind of compare it to a relationship. You know, uh, when I was younger, it's kind of like I was, I was dating, you know, being a pastor. <laughs> thinking about, some of you know I job shadowed a pastor when I was in eighth grade. And so we're kind of dating. I'm thinking about this career, you know, mentoring. My uh, youth pastor mentored me. Uh, and then, you know, I went, decided to go into ministry and study it. So it's kind of like we were engaged. And now the, the big day is finally here. And it's kind of like other big days and weddings over the past year. It was actually postponed a year because of the pandemic. So we've had a, a wedding postponed. Uh, but the big day is finally here this Saturday. You know, since I was about 13 or 14 years old, when I first started thinking about ministry, um, I thought a lot about what does it really mean to be a pastor? What does it mean to be an ordained leader? What does that mean for me and for the church? And most of you know I grew up in the Catholic church. And so my, my concept was the priests, these holy men of God. And I was taught to go to confession, so I'd go to confession on Saturdays. And so when I came to Christ in the Covenant Church when I was 13, it literally blew my mind that I could go to God directly. I could confess my sins to him, just me and him. I can, I can pray to him. There's this connection by the Spirit. So you can, have, you can maybe empathize with me why I've had a hard time uh, over my years of discerning what really does it mean to be an ordained pastor because the one thing I did know is I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not holier than anybody else. It's not like I'm some holy man out there that has this special connection that none of you have. So what does it mean? We all have these gifts. We're all called to ministry. You know, and we study the book of Acts as we've been. You'll see this tension that, yes, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church, that all men and women may prophesy, and the Holy Spirit is raising up men and women for the, for the gifts and the ministries to which Jesus has called them. And yet, at the same time, we see the church setting aside 
in ordaining, ordaining leaders for specific ministries, which we saw in Acts chapter 6 today. And as we're continuing our sermon series through Acts, I'm, I'm really not so much interested in speaking about ordination itself. Uh, John Benson will t- touch on that more next week. Uh, but I am interested in how did all these people work together to do this? How were they the church together? Now, how are the apostles who were commissioned, or we might say ordained by Jesus, how did they lead and how did the rest of the church and the others, they, the, these seven they ordained in this chapter, how did all these people work together as the body of Christ? And I think that will be helpful for us when we consider what does it mean for us to live as the church today. Now, remember where we've been. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and then the church is growing very rapidly. And the apostles are getting in trouble. They're being thrown into prison. They're getting flogged. They're being, the persecution is breaking out. But they never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we get to Acts chapter 6. I invite you to turn to me in your Bibles or on your phones or wherever you have. Acts chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 1 where it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, let me pause here, actually. The, the church has been growing rapidly, and I put together a little, little slide for you here. In Acts 2.41, it, said, it says about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And Luke concludes his summary in that chapter by saying, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, it says, many who heard uh, the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. And then Acts chapter 5, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the, in the Lord and were added to their number. So basically, in every chapter so far, Luke has, made to, has pointed out the church is growing. The church is growing rapidly. More and more people are believing in Jesus Christ. In fact, priests are coming to believe in the Messiah. It is amazing what God is doing. This would have been so exciting to be a part of, right? And then he says it again in Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, it says in those days, that's that's a vague reference of time. We don't know how much time has passed. One scholar I read thinks maybe it's about five years uh, since Pentecost. And so in these five years or so, or, or however long it was, the church has been steadily growing and growing. And with growth comes new problems, new complications, especially because the church has become multicultural. So, so far, we've mainly been given these ideal pictures of the church, that the, the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and the church is growing. But Luke does not shy away from, even throughout Acts, that the church also had problems. And we can't just say the early church was this, this ideal, perfect church. The church was full of people just like us, and they had problems. Now, what was the problem in this chapter? It says in verse 1, the Hellenistic or Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, Hellenistic, when you read that word, you should just think Greek culture and Greek language. And I've put together a little table for you. Hopefully this helps you. The Hellenistic Jews, these are immigrants from what's called the diaspora. These are the the nations surrounding Israel, okay? They either mainly or only spoke Greek. They were more Greek in culture. They were the minority group in Israel and in the church, and they were not in leadership in the church. Now, conversely, the Hebraic Jews, they were natives to the land of Israel. Uh, They spoke mainly Aramaic, but they also probably knew Greek because that was the language of commerce and business. They were more Jewish in culture. Again, they're native to Israel. They were the majority in the country and also in the church. And the 12 apostles were Hebraic Jews as well. 
And so in the culture, there was, these, there was always tension between these two groups, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews, they're a minority, and that would present unique obstacles and challenges that the majority would not face, but especially more so if you are a widow at this time, which many of you know was, uh, could lead to poverty and destitution. So consider what these women were facing. Their husbands had died. They were immigrants from a foreign land. They did not speak the Aramaic of those surrounding them. They were not part of the dominant culture. And now they have joined the movement of Jesus, which is now being persecuted all across the land. And those who might have helped in the Jewish authorities, they're no longer going to receive help from them. And now they are being overlooked in the church. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're afraid of what might happen to them. Maybe they're angry of being overlooked and not receiving the help that they thought they deserved. And now remember that the people were selling property. They were, give, they were giving their money. They were selling homes. And they were laying it at the apostles' feet. And then the apostles were distributing to anybody who had need. And remember, two chapters ago, Luke said, this was going so well back then that there was no needy person among them. But now... The church has grown, and people are being overlooked. Now, I don't believe this was purposeful neglect by the apostles. I don't think that they were intending to do this on purpose. But the Hellenistic widows, they had some, a barrier, somehow less access. Maybe it was the difference in language. Uh, you know, the apostles were Hebraic Jews, so maybe they, they connected more easily with the Hebraic widows, or the Hebraic widows had an easier time receiving help. Um, this was a problem that the apostles at first did not notice, did not, did not see, uh, and we'll find out that the ministry uh, had grown so much that it had outgrown the capacity of the apostles to, car to carry out this ministry well. And it was the administration of the ministry. It was the way that the system was set up that was not working. But whatever the case may be, the Hellenistic Jews say, hey, there's a problem. There's a problem. So what do they do? Do the Hellenistic Jews, even though they would be justified, do they remain bitter and hold a grudge? No, they don't do that. Do they decide to leave the church? And guess what? That's not an option. There's no other church down the road where they can go join. They can't go find another congregation. No, they actually decide to be part of the solution. And we're going to hear more about that later. But the responsibility of addressing this problem lies with the apostles. Look in verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So up until this point, the apostles, they've been, they've been managing the food and financial distribution ministry of the church. And they now realize that they can no longer do it. Uh, that this ministry needs to be led by other people. Otherwise, it's going to keep being unequal and they're going to be neglecting people. And they would be neglecting their primary responsibility to spread the gospel, to teach the word, and to lead in prayer. You know, sometimes it makes sense to do something one way, but then things change. The church grows numerically. The church grows in diversity. And new problems emerge that need new solutions. You know, thankfully, 
our church, I don't think, could ever, be, uh, could ever be accused of the famous seven last words of a church, which is, we've never done it that way. Uh, especially in this past year, we've had to change so much, and we haven't said that at all. But we always need to be open to new ways of doing things, new methods, new, new models, new programs. You know, the mission has, hasn't changed in this chapter. Jesus had still commissioned the apostles. Their commission to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth had not changed. But the method needed to change. The program needed to change. And I think we should always be trying to find what is the best thing for this time with the problems we're facing today. You know, sometimes churches, they try to hang on, I think, to maybe a particular way of, of doing things or a popular program, and maybe we're, we don't realize it's no longer working or it's no longer reaching people or it's no longer accomplishing what we wanted it to accomplish. And if we're not careful, sometimes our, our favorite way of doing things, our favorite program can become an idol. It can become an idol. It can get in the way of what needs to be done for the sake of the mission. And the apostles, in their wisdom, they realized, you know, in this next season, things have changed. The church has grown. We need to change. We need to change our, the way that we're doing ministry so that we can address the needs that are before us. And thankfully, the apostles had the humility to say, we can't do this anymore. We can't, we can't do this by ourselves. We need help. You know, people had complained about their ministry. You know, and perhaps these people who complained, perhaps they initially thought, you know what? The apostles, they just need to do a better job. <laughs> they just need to work harder. This is their fault. You know, but after hearing from the apostles, they agree that new leadership needs to help them. You know, sometimes I think when we're upset with people, and sometimes we wonder, why can't they just do better? Why don't they just step up? Why don't they just work harder? And we need to consider that perhaps they are not doing anything wrong, and we are unjustly upset with them because we are expecting too much from them. We're expecting them to be Superman or Superwoman. And the reality is they're not doing anything wrong. They just have too much on their plate. And our expectations are not, are not just. You know, the apostles, they're spreading the gospel. They're teaching the church, by the way. They're leading in prayer. They're getting thrown in prison. And they're still leading the food and financial distribution for a multi-thousand congregation all throughout Jerusalem. It was just too much. Don't we all have limits? Don't we all have blind spots and make mistakes? Don't we all need help and need to work together? And so the church, thankfully, accepted the wisdom of the apostles. They say, this proposal is good. Yes, we need to ordain other people to come alongside and help. And this, the apostles are essentially saying, we need to pass this off to other people. And the church agrees. And so the apostles tell the church to choose seven qualified men, and the apostles are going to turn the responsibility of this ministry over to them. Now, it does say that the, this proposal pleased the whole church. It pleased the whole group. Um, but I have to imagine, when I imagine this playing out over time, I imagine over time complaints happened again because that's, that's just human nature. Uh, and so this is just a little bit of li a creative liberty here, but I, but I imagine some of the church people thinking, you know what, I really preferred it. Preferred it when Peter was the one who was coming to bring me food. He, he is just so much more charismatic than that Stephen. He had just, he's such a better speaker than that Barnabas. I really want Peter to be the one coming to me. Or I can't believe John. 
after all of his preaching and how we are to love our brothers and sisters by meeting their practical needs, and now John is going to bow out of the ministry to the widows? Can you believe him? After Matthew, after writing the Sermon on the Mount, he's not going to teach in the Sunday school anymore? God forbid! Okay, we can joke a little bit, right? <laughs> Maybe this didn't happen at all. But I've seen this in the churches I've been in. I've seen this mentality. People expect not just the pastors, but the staff or the lay leaders to be involved in everything and to do everything, and it's very unhealthy. It was not the apostles' job to do all the ministry. It was the church's job to do all the ministry. They were to work together in this task, and everyone needed to contribute in some way. And so you should always be asking yourself, in what way can I make the biggest contribution to my church? Where am I needed now? Where, am I, where is the, the needs of the church and my gifts and my passions? Where do those things align so I can make the biggest contribution I can to the body of Christ? That's what we need. You know, Faith Covenant is not a place where you can be here for a while and just be a consumer. You know, I've been saying we're not just a service to attend, we're a community to belong to. And that means that we want you and expect you to find a place of significant service within the body. That we, we, we like to say around here that every member is a minister. Everybody has a contribution to make. And so the apostles, they propose forming a new ministry team, new leadership, and they say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, you need to understand that this is not negative. This is not somehow pejorative, oh, waiting on tables, and, and we're above that ministry, we just need to focus on preaching. No, scholar Craig Keener says both are described as ministries here. Both must be done, and both require spirit-filled leaders. And the same Greek word is used to describe these ministries. They are both described as diakonia, diaconate, deacon service ministry. Whether it's word and prayer or financial and food distribution, both are described using the same word. But the apostles had a unique calling, and they were grounded in their identity. They knew what Jesus had called them and commissioned them to do, and they said, we know what our primary task needs to be. We need others to come alongside and take this ministry off our plate. And we too must be firmly grounded in our identity, in our gifts, and our call. And remember, in Acts chapter 2, it says the church had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So isn't it only right that the apostles now are going to devote themselves to making sure that they, their teaching is bathed in prayer and that their teaching is excellent and that they're giving it their all? And they also say in verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the apostles were to lead in corporate prayer. They would spend time in private prayer, interceding for the church. They would spend time praying with people in homes when they would have table fellowship and, and have, uh, have dinner with people. They would be praying for them and praying for healing. And their sermons would come out of their prayer time with the Lord. And I love how this was the apostles' proposal. We need to spend time in prayer in the word. And the church agreed with this proposal. Isn't that interesting? That the early church had no qualms about their primary leaders. We're talking about the twelve. They had no qualms with the apostles saying, yes, we're going to spend a majority of our time praying. No issue. I mean, don't you think we'd want Peter and John like, developing leaders 
and developing the system and discipling everybody. I mean, wouldn't you want them, you know, at the front of everything, doing everything? We want them in the prayer closet? We want them praying, with, just leading in prayer? Yes. Because the early church, they knew the power of prayer. They lived it. They experienced it. They saw God answer prayer. And they knew, we, yes, we need our primary leaders praying. We need them to devote themselves to the ministry of prayer. So the apostles say, we're going to focus our attention on this. Then they're going to delegate the ministry of the food and the finances uh, to, to the seven. So they say, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the spirit and wisdom. Friend, if you are in any level of ministry in the church, any level of church leadership, if you're an elected leader, a ministry team leader, a committee member, a worship team leader, it's your job to keep yourself full of the Holy Spirit and to keep pursuing wisdom. At every level in the church, we need godly leaders full of the Spirit. And the apostles say, we will then turn this responsibility over to them. And I think this is one of the primary jobs of the, the pastors and staff and lay leadership in the church. It's actually to turn responsibility over to others. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, the job of the leaders is not to do all the ministry, but to it's equip God's people for all of the ministry. Total church ministry, every part of the body of Christ, every member of ministry. So they turn this responsibility over to Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Now, what's interesting about these names is they are all Greek. These are all Hellenistic Jews from the Greek culture. They would know the problems of the minority group the best. And the Hellenistic Jews, remember, these are the ones who raise the issue. There's a problem that needs to be solved. And now they are going to be the ones who are primarily responsible for solving the problem. Often we are willing to bring up an issue. Are we willing to stay around to be part of the solution? That's what we need. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And what were the results? Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There's a positive result to this decision. And I think when God's people step up to, to serve in their if, area of gifting, when they step up to, to lead in how God has called them, when God, godly leadership is expected and part of the church culture, good things just happen. God blesses. The apostles, they played their role of evangelism, teaching, and prayer, and the, the seven step up and take, take on the food and financial ministry, and the other disciples support as well. And we might say in our day, it's like, the pastor and the staff and the lay leaders and all the whole congregation working together. And godly leaders are put in place. And when that happens, I believe the Lord blesses. Good things happen. You know, and that's where I want to leave it in the story in Acts today. But I want to ask that question. What does it mean for us to work together as the body of Christ? What does it mean for the that the church has called me and ordained me to be a pastor, and yet we are all called to be ministers to the body of Christ? Well, fundamentally, I want to say, it means that we all have a holy 
responsibility to which we should never, ever give up. We all have a holy responsibility to which we should never, ever give up. You know, I wonder how the apostles felt as the church is growing rapidly, persecution is breaking out, some of them are being thrown in prison, and now complaints are coming from the congregation. I wonder if they start feeling, man, this is getting overwhelming. Or perhaps they felt like throwing in the towel at times. You know, have you ever felt just like giving up? Giving up on the church? Giving up on serving? You know, I'll be honest, uh, this has been the most challenging year of ministry I've ever had since I was a youth leader when I was at 18 years old. You know, this has been the most challenging year, uh, and many of you probably can relate to this, the most challenging year you've had in your personal lives, and it applies to me also. Uh, and there, are, there have been times where, where I thought, you know what, <laughs> this, this job is so difficult. Uh, I, I've, you know, the things I've heard, the things people have said to me, you know, and I'm not trying to get any sympathy here, but there, there are so many challenges to this thing, and the, the, the thought had crossed my mind, maybe I don't want to go through with this, maybe I just want to throw in the towel. No, I, don't worry, I didn't seriously consider that. But the, the thought crossed my mind. Do I, do I really want to do this? I'm getting ordained. This is a lifelong commitment. You know, and perhaps some of you, you've, you've had so many challenges this year. You've been hurt by people in the church. It, people have said things that you don't like or agree with. People have said things to you. Uh, you've had so many challenges or maybe disappointments, and you're wondering, you know what? I want to throw in the towel. You know, the enemy's be beat me up one too many times. And in those moments of discouragement, the enemy's whispered a lie. And you say, you know what, I just want to give up. I just want to throw in the towel. You know, I was thinking about this image, throwing in the towel. And then another image I believe the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. And it was the, the image of Jesus at the Last Supper. And he knew his disciples were going to leave him and desert him. One was going to outright betray him. And he goes... He picks up the towel, wraps it around his waist, and goes and washes the feet of all of his disciples, knowing he was going to be betrayed, knowing the suffering and the agony that was about to happen to him. Jesus picked up the towel, and he loved them, it says, to the very end. And maybe you felt like giving up, and I just want to say to you, consider Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus, who when you did not respond to his love and grace, to when you took advantage of his grace, to when you betrayed him over and over by your sins, he didn't look at you and say, you know what, I'm done with you. I'm throwing in the towel, I'm giving up on you. No, no, he picked up the towel for you. Even in all your weakness and sin, even in all your brokenness, Jesus said, you're worth it. I will pick up the towel. I will wash your feet. And I'm going to pick up the cross and go to the cross for your salvation, for your redemption, for your eternal life. So brothers and sisters, don't throw in the towel. Pick up the towel. Pick up the towel. Don't give up on the body of Christ. This is the most worthwhile endeavor in the world because we're talking about your brothers and sisters who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and no matter how much they hurt us, no matter how much things disappoint us, we pick up the towel because Jesus
picked up the towel for us. And when I think about my ordination coming up this Saturday, you know, I, I, again, I think about it like a marriage. I'm kinda, it's like I'm saying, you know what, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, for, in sickness and in health, I will never give up on the body of Christ. I will never, ever give up on the church because I have so dearly loved Jesus Christ. He has so dearly loved me, and I love each and every one of you. So come what may, bring it on, devil. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to keep on serving and picking up the towel by God's grace no matter what. And so you too. Again, this is this interplay between ordained and lay that this is what I'm doing, and it's also a symbol for you. You may not be called to ordain ministry, but you are called to ministry within the, in the church. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on your brothers and sisters. Love them with the love that Christ has loved us. Amen? Let's pray.